the ice cream of Buenos Aires, stinky feet cheese from the Czech Republic, and wine from Uruguay. This week, we're in Walter's World. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week we explore a different corner of this world and the unique food and drink that make that place special. And I know that we're really not traveling right now. Sure, some places are opening up a little bit, but travel has basically been locked down. I mean, the European Union just announced this week that Americans are not going to be allowed to travel in Europe least in the short term. Obviously, this will change sometime down the road, but for now, Europe and much of the rest of the world is closed off to travel. But I look at it this way. This is a travel podcast. We can't travel right now, but with the world in a state of chaos as it is right now, it seems like everything is a complete cluster. I think that Dreaming about travel, thinking about travel, planning for travel can be a nice distraction. So I don't attempt to solve the world's problems here on this podcast. I'll leave that up to some other folks or some other times outside of this podcast. But during the podcast, I think it's a good time to think about what will be better times ahead and things that we'll get to do sometime in the future. This week, I'm talking to Mark Walter, and Mark is the professor of marketing at the University of Illinois' Geese School of Business in Champaign-Urbana, but he's more famous in the traveling world for Walter's World, his website and YouTube travel channel, both called Walter's World. And over the past several years, he's created almost 2,000 videos And the great thing about Walter's world is that Mark Walter gives honest travel advice, tips, and observations about destinations all over the world. I think what makes his travel videos and website so popular is his very easygoing style and his sense of humor. He's got nearly 700,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. Mark and I had this wide-ranging and really fun conversation that goes from Italian food in Argentina to beer in the Czech Republic to the not-so-free condiments at restaurants in Portugal. And Mark also shared with me his travel philosophy and why he doesn't give restaurant recommendations. But first, if you enjoy the podcast, do me a favor, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's on the Apple podcast platform or Spotify or Pandora, or even over at radiomisfits.com. Leave a rating and review, and I'll say thank you to you for that. And even better than a rating and review, tell one of your friends about the podcast. Destination Eat Drink. Mark, in your real life, in your everyday life, You're a professor, uh, and you spend a lot of time with young people, with college students. The first thing I wanted to ask you was, do you have any sense of there being a difference between how young people like to travel and how older folks like me and like you, like we like to travel? 
Yeah, there's a, there's a few differences, I think, because every year I take about a group of 15 to 20 college students to Europe, and we'll go, we've will go. we gone to, I think, like 15 different countries with them, do classes, all kinds of stuff. And, and I've seen some of the differences when I've gone with friends and, and people of our demographic, as you said. Um, <laughs> I see there are some similarities, but there are differences. Like, you know, you have the people that are the hardcore, I want to prepare and know everything, and the people are like, fly by the seat of pants. You have that, but... What I've seen a lot with my students is all my students, well, maybe not all, but I would say a majority of my students, when we go on these trips, they know where we're going to go, and they already have a list of the restaurants they're going to go to and a list of what they're going to eat at that restaurant. So they've watched, you know, uh, Anthony Bourdain or, you know, or another cooking show or, like, Mark Weems with Migrationology, who's like, I was here, I ate this, you should have this when you're here. And they, I mean, they have it listed out. Like, they'll have it. I mean, I've seen where students will actually have a list, a daily list, like we're going to go to this restaurant for lunch, this one for dinner, I want to have that. And it's kind of interesting because for me, for years, we've always said, you know, we, we've made it a point not to recommend restaurants. We always make it a point to recommend the type of food you should have when you go there. And my students are like, that's nice, Mark, but I want all the exact restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> so it is very much like there's a list. And, and one thing I've seen is uh, another difference I've seen is in terms of the accommodation where people are going, where I see like older demographic is going for hotels, you know, Airbnbs, like a, a high, like a high, not necessarily high, high end, but like a higher end accommodation option. Whereas younger, you I mean, hostels have always been popular, but couch surfing and, you know, and, and, and things like that have become more and more popular. Uh, because you're like, you know what, I just want to like kind of lay back and chill. And, and also I think in terms of like as a marketing professor, if I look at the dollars, the tourism dollars spent, um, I see the younger demographic are spending, they're traveling more, but the money they're spending on those trips is less because they're typically flying like an EasyJet or Ryanair or Southwest, which aren't as high priced. And then when they go and they stay at places that are lower cost places to go, they're eating a lot more like grabbing stuff at Aldi or gas station or, you know, the grocery store. So they're spending a lot less money when they do travel. So it's interesting because when I'll go travel, I'll go with my students. They'll see my students come in. They're like, no. They're like looking like they're not going to spend a lot. But they see me walk. They see big fat guy walk in, and my buddy who's my usually like co-chaperone when we go on these trips. He's also a big guy. Then they see us walk in. They're like, wait a minute. Like, there's 15 students or two fat guys. We go with the two fat guys because we're going to eat, drink, and sit. So it's kind of funny to see that. And then we all sit together, and and, and it's it's interesting because the students will order very little. I'm like, but no, like our meal. We're going. I'm paying for the meal. They're like, oh, you're paying, and then they'll go explore. And I think. That's one of the things. Is it's great that younger people are exploring more and more often and, and a younger age. But I'm worried that it's just, I mean, it's tough when you don't have the income because, you know, you're, you're just starting out. But sometimes they're missing out on some of the culture stuff because, they, you know, they'll do a bare bones trip. And it's like, you know, I'm couch surfing. I'm just walking around the town and I'm going to, you know, my local Aldi to get food. Well, are you getting a chance to really explore Spain or Argentina or, you know, Japan if that's what you're going to be doing? And so sometimes I worry, like, Let's find ways that we can help people explore the culture, even if they don't have to, they can't spend the money, but you can still get that cultural experience. So that's one thing I really try to push for my students. So I always have them do the research about sites, not just about food. It's kind of like striking a balance, you know. How much do you want to tell people the exact place to go, but how much do you want to allow them to discover? And I remember the first time my girlfriend and I went to Italy years and years and years ago, we went to a place. Still, it was still the Roman Empire, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, I believe we we rode into Rome with the Visigoths. <laughs> oh, oh, you do! Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, 
<laughs> so we're we're in Italy the very first time. She'd been before. I hadn't. But our first trip together to Italy. And we had seen on television, Rick Steves had recommended this specific restaurant. So we said, oh, that sounds fun. We go there. And he had recommended a specific dish. And we get into the restaurant and I swear, every single table had the Rick Steves guidebook on it. Every single table was populated by Americans, and every single table had ordered that exact same dish. So yep. when you when you do stuff like this, you have to kind of be careful because are you telling people exactly what to do, or are you telling them to go and you know fly, be free, you know? Yeah, I mean that that's why again this goes back to why we don't say specific restaurants and spe- like specific things to order there. Because we really want to help people travel on their own and experience culture on their own. So we're giving you all the tools, like here's the culture things to look out for, here's the faux pas, here's the food you should try. Now go and explore and find your own bit of France, your own bit of China, your own bit of Brazil. And for me, because that's what I really want to do, because I love independent travel, and I want people to be able to do that independent traveling themselves. But if, if everyone, I mean, the Bourdain effect has been great for the, the restaurants that have that. And the Rick Steves, I remember before the internet was big and I was traveling to Rick Steves stuff, you come in like, Rick Steves? They're like, yep. Like, all right. <laughs> like, they knew. <laughs> yeah, they knew exactly when you came in. Um, and then the other restaurants would be pissed because they're like, wait, why, why can't, why don't they come here? Our food's better than there. But right. we happen to go there and that's the one that's in there. And so that's why we really push, like, look, because what, what, here's one of the things is, Places change so quick, and that's something I like about uh, in the Lonely Planet books. They always say, it's like, look, good places go bad, bad places go out of business, and other things happen. So once you say this one restaurant, it can change. Because when you think about it, any place becomes more popular and more popular, you're like, oh, you're trying to serve more people, turn it over. Do you lose the quality? It's, it's, it's an issue out there. So, and I can, but I can understand why people are like, I'm not sure what to do, so just tell me where to go. And I would say that's probably... One of our most asked questions that we don't answer <laughs> with a specific place is like, I, give me an exact, re- like, because I lived in Lisbon for five years. I did my PhD there. So I like, I know Lisbon really well. But in Lisbon, you go to Tashka's, which are like mom and pop restaurants. Right. And, and, and 99% of the restaurants have the exact same menu. Like the food's a little bit different, but it's the same menu, right? It's like they just photocopy and share it. And so they're like, well, which, which one should I go to? I'm like, well, anyone you go to is probably going to be okay because it's a, if it's, it's a Tashka, you'll be okay. It's mom and pop. It's not a chain. It's, it'll be good. I'm like, no, I, know the, I need to know the exact one. I'm like, they change because like, the mom and pop sells for another mom and pop, and these things happen. So, But it's funny because I'm like, look, this is the food to get. Just find the place. You can see a bunch of locals there. Walk in. That's your first sign. Okay, if there's nobody at the restaurant, that's also a sign that it's probably <laughs> not good. Or... If you look at a restaurant at 7 o'clock and you're in Spain or Portugal, no one's eating at that time. So you even know the, the times to eat as well. So so we just try to give everybody that information so they can make their own choice. So let's talk about some of your videos on YouTube. They're incredibly popular. I think you have over 650,000 subscribers to your YouTube channel, which is just mind-blowing. But one of your most popular series is called The Don'ts of Travel which I think is just yes. a genius idea because everyone says, here are the things to do in Rome, in London, in Paris, wherever. But you tell the don'ts, which is a, a great way of doing it. Explain the concept behind the don'ts of travel. So like you said, everyone wants to, like the, the do's are something that people always think they look for, but no one ever watches them or reads them or anything like that. And 
And I, I saw over time that people want to know what not to do. So we started making these don'ts of travel. But the thing is, I'm always I'm a very positive person. We want all our videos to be very positive. And so we're not like bashing people. We're not. We're just pointing out like, hey, when you're in Portugal, don't think the bread is free. Don't think the butter is free. Because a lot of people come in, if you're coming from the U.S., you use the bread, butter, like all that free stuff that comes with it. In Portugal, you're paying for the bread. You're paying for each pat of butter. You're paying for the olives. You're paying for the ham. And you might have a lot, spent a lot more money than you expected on something you thought was free, right? And so we just were like, hey, look, let's say, don't do this, don't do this. But we also put in some things. There's a lot of people will, will not go do a site. I say, hey, don't skip out on this. So it's not just like don't do these bad things. It's also don't forget to do stuff. So yeah, don't miss a out. Kind of, don't miss out. So we make it a really positive kind of vibe for it. And it's funny because we get comments every day on these don't videos about, I came to watch this to be pissed off. Because you're saying what not to do in my country or my city, but actually you're really right and it was really positive. So I'm really kind of surprised at that. I'm like, yeah, but you would they wouldn't have watched what to do in these places, but they don't. And and what I think works well because our videos really are about getting people prepared to travel. Because some things, I mean, people it's weird. Some little thing will destroy somebody's trip. Like, oh, I had to pay for the bread. I hate that country. Like, oh. People will get mad at stuff like that. <laughs> And you're like, if I can tell people and help people know about these things that might shock them or, or surprise them or, or things they shouldn't do, then when they get there, they know it's no longer something that might ruin their vacation, quote unquote, but something like, I knew this was going to happen, all right, that really prepared me, then it becomes a positive for their trip, right? And so they enjoy the trip more. So we really try to go our way to the don'ts, like, don't forget to do this, but also don't do this, because we'll also put in safety things, because we have different types of videos. Like we have, you know, what's to know before you go, which is just like the basic kind of stuff. We have the don'ts, which focus on more serious kind of stuff. You know, then we have the shocks of travel, which are more, um, I guess you say those, that's more of the fun stuff, right? And then we have, you know, mistakes of travel, which are like just little things. So it's just a different level of how much information people want, what kind of information they want. So the don't want is the one I usually rec- recommend the best. Like people say, if you watch one video, the place you're going to go, look up Walter's World, that country, or Walter's World, that city and find our don'ts video and watch that, that's going to give you the best. I wanted to ask you about the don'ts of Buenos Aires, Argentina. Yes. Because that was yes. a, that's a really, they're all fun, but this is a really fun video because you start off right out of the gate. You're like, don't be afraid to give the finger. And that's right. it, it doesn't mean what people think it means. <laughs> I'll let you explain it, but this, this was a yeah, great no. one. Don't be afraid to give the finger. No, yeah, so so when you say that in the U.S., people think the middle finger. Oh, no, no, I'm talking about the index finger. And what they'll do is they'll like make like a – like they'll, they'll, they'll wag your, the finger back and forth, right? And it's just like, no, no, I'm good. Because you have people like, you know, busters. If you like coming to our restaurant or, or whatever, come to our store, you just do the – all you have to do, you don't have to do anything. Just put your finger up and like wag it back and forth a few times so people leave you alone. If you throw in that like little like clicking as well, it's like, dude, buzz off. And it works. It's fantastic. Like, you know, you just ate, you're walking through like 900 restaurants. Like, I don't have to tell 900 people I don't want to go to the restaurants. You're like, man, you used to go like this. They're like, all right. And like, they respect you for that. It's, it's little things like this that if you don't know, it's like, wow, now I didn't have to have 900 people ask us, do we want to go eat again? You know, it's like, I oh, just did the <laughs> finger and we're good to go. Do people ever wag their finger? Do they give you the finger too as, a, as an outsider, as a tourist? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll see it sometimes. It's like, because one, like, I've, we've had it before because I was there. We were in Buenos Aires with my parents and my kids and everything because we were we were down in South America for a wedding, and so we were going to sit. And the, the guy's like, he's like, no, he's like, basically saying, don't sit there, sit on, sit in here, because I guess he knew the weather was going to change. He's like, you want to be in here, not outside. I'm like, oh okay. 
So we came inside, had a nice big table for ourselves. So it's not always bad. It's just some, it's just one of those things like, hey man, check it out, like, watch out, you know. But also, no, I'm good. So it, it's it's one of those like it has it's one finger with many meanings. <laughs> so you spent time in Buenos Aires. I have not. So tell me from a food standpoint, what kind of stuff we can expect if we're in Buenos Aires? Okay, so Argentina in general has fantastic beef. No matter where you go in the country, you have the most incredible steaks. Lomo beef is Lomo is, is really good. I mean, there's like tenderloin, and you got strips, you got all kinds of stuff. The thing is, in Argentina, if you just order a steak, it will come like super well done. Like they like their meat well, 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 then burned, then well done. I mean, it is <laughs> like we're talking like, can you hear me knocking? Like that is the that is that's how it is. And so I because I lived I'd gone to school there in the nineties. And I had forgotten about this. So when we came back with my family, we got we, we got in late winter when I had steaks. And, and I'm like, yeah, I just want my medium or whatever. And I forgot, like, their medium is, like, well done. So after one day, I realized, no, I need a hugoso, which is, like, juicy. And then I'm like, yeah. And it basically, it's the translation, like, yeah, can it still be alive? <laughs> like, I want, I, want it, I want it mooing. Yeah, I want my steak <laughs> to talk to me. Like, okay. And that still only got us about medium rare. <laughs> Like, it, it was pretty funny, but it was one of those things you really have to know uh, you're kind of like how you want to cook because they cook it really, really well. There. But man, the, the beef there is fantastic. Um, also, if you, it, there was a lot of Italian immigration into Buenos Aires. Right, right. And so you have a ton of really good, you have a ton of really good Italian food, but a lot of people, when we go, they're like, the kids are like, pizza on the steak and stuff. I'm like, oh, pizza, they have pizza everywhere. I want to get pizza. I'm like, wait. The cheese is a little bit different. The dough is a little bit different. Just be ready for a different, like, see a pizza first before you order because you're expecting, like, a U.S. or Italian-style pizza. It's not like that. Argentina has its own style of pizza. I mean, it's still pizza, but it's it's different. So I always tell people, like, they, like the kids are like, oh, pizza. I'm like, guys, why don't you look and see if the guy next door ordered a pizza? Let's see what he is. Looks like then you decide if you want it. They're like, oh, we'll have steak. So, like, the <laughs> boys were just knocking back the steaks like, man. But 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 all but but in all honesty, aside from that, the Italian food there is really good, and it's near the end of the month. So like around the 28th is like gnocchi day, so there's gnocchis like all over the place, um, and you can get some really good deals with that. Another thing, if you're like in um, the Palermo district, there's a couple of places that do really good milanesas, which is like a big fried pork tenderloin, you know, basically. I mean, it can be other kinds of meats, but there's these fried tenderloins called uh, milanesas, just like pounded out kind of stuff. Pounded out meat, breaded and fried, that, that's really good. But you can eat so well in Buenos Aires. But I think the, the key thing, the key thing you need to get is the ice cream. The halado in Buenos Aires is top notch because there's so many, like, there's chains, there's also mama pal places. I mean, it's just like every other street corner has got another uh, uh, ice cream shop you can go to, and it's just outstanding. My personal favorite is the banana split ice cream, which is like banana-flavored ice cream, and it's not that weird banana flavor. It's like made with real banana flavor. Hmm. Um, and it's got like chocolate in it, but it has a ribbon of dulce de leche, like that caramel uh. stuff in it. Uh, dude, it is to die for. When I lived there, I would get it every single day. It was amazing. So every time I've gone back, so I went back, I've gone back three times now, and I was going back with the kids, and I'm like, we did go to ice cream again. We had breakfast, ice cream shop, dulce. <laughs> like, <laughs> So, but yeah, that, that that's a definite one. And there's like there's Fredo's a, a popular chain there, and there's other there's there's smaller chains that are really good too. I've heard you talk about the ice cream in Buenos Aires, and also with the Italian population, this makes me think: is it 
more like gelato than ice cream, or is it just something special? Maybe the milk? What what makes it so special? I would say it's more like gelato. It's not 100% like gelato. It's like 80% gelato and then like 20% ice cream. Like it's, it's definitely more on the gelato side of things. So it's got maybe a silkier texture. Yes, a much silkier texture. Yes, that would be a perfect word for it. You. You are a gift with words, my friend. Yes, it's a much silkier texture. And then the other thing I wanted to ask you about uh, Buenos Aires, well, Argentina in general, is the wine, because I'm a big wine guy, but I've never been able to get into the Malbecs. I don't know why, but it's just something. See, I'll drink Malbec. I'll drink Malbec, but it's not not one of my things. Actually, if you want a really good wine that you don't see very often, if you go, it's from Uruguay, it's called Tanat. This, like Tanat, is this red wine that is just unbelievable. But the entire region where they can like, grow Tanat grapes to make this not wine is like the size of a medium-sized uh, you know, wine producer in Argentina. So there's nowhere near as much around the world. But if you want to get a good South American wine, if you don't like your Malbec and stuff, like, look for Tanat. It is um, from Uruguay. That's the way to go um, for me. Um, but, but for Argentine wine, so Argentina is actually where I first fell in love with wine. I was when I was studying there, I ended up in Mendoza and did all the wine tours. And I was like, I was in college, so I was all about you know rum and coke and, and Jack and ginger. Well, not it was Jack and coke back then, and and um, I like beer. And then they're like, no, we're having wine. So I spent like five days going to wineries and drinking wine, and I'm like, this is actually pretty good. But the Tanato in, in Uruguay, I think, is 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 superior. Okay, Uruguay wines. There's a tip. I'll have to look for Uruguay wines. Never even thought of it. But it's all, it's only the Tanat. Okay. Tanat wine. The other ones are the other ones are just like Argentina, like they're they're good, like Argentina wines, Argentine wines. But the Tanat, the type Tanat, is the one you want. All right, I'll try it and report back to you, Mark Walter. Yeah, it, it, but it's it, it is hard to find. It is hard to find them. Another of your series of videos is the shocks series, the shocks of visiting yes. different places, what'll shock you when you go there. And um, I'm mildly obsessed right now with the Czech Republic because I recently found out my great-great-grandfather was from Bohemia. So oh, cool. we want to get to the Czech Republic. Obviously, now with the pandemic, we can't do it right now, but it's something yeah. we're going to do. But every time I hear someone talk about the Czech Republic, every time I read an article, they always talk about the cheese of the Czech Republic. So, well, um, they, they always talk about the stinky cheese. Yeah. So I call them the stinky feet cheeses. Yes. They, so there's a town, um, and I, I, can, I mean, trying to pronounce Olympus cheese. I can't do like the, the Czech version of it. But this stuff is. I mean, it is pretty powerful. I remember I was in Ostrava, this was years ago, the first time I had it, and I was with there with my friends who were going to school there, and they're like, oh, hey, you, you like having like local food, right? I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, oh, you have to have this. And I'm like, what? They're like, oh, the Mutsuki. I'm like, what? And they're like, don't worry, it's great. It comes, and they put like paprika on it, and there's onions with it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Patricia and onions to go with the cheese. I'm like, I'm obviously not going to meet anyone tonight. <laughs> you know, it's like, no one was going to be going to talk to me. And so it comes, and it, there's been a few times when I've traveled where people have like, you know, they play the, we're going to get you the local food, but they give me like the crazy stuff. You know, you're like, right. Yeah, like Rocky Mountain oysters or this mammy stuff I had, reindeer blood, uh, you know, pancakes. You're like, okay, you, you eat it and whatever. And this came, I mean, it was brutal. Like, I, I got it. I'm like, <laughs> And, you know, I was still, I mean, I was, like, just out of college, so I was still, like, you know, I, I'm going to be cool with it. 
I ate some, and I'm like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Like, you like it? I'm like, it's fine. Yeah, no. And I mean, there's still like over half of it left. And my buddy Carl, he just loves it, though. And he's like staring at it. He's just like, like, like eyeballing it on the side. <laughs> and he's, I'm like, I'm like, oh, you want something? Well, if you don't want it, I'm like, no, nah, I mean, if you really like it, you can have the rest. So he finished it for me. But I have a picture of me. Sometimes they'll shove in some of our check videos of me like looking at this cheese going, what the heck? Because <laughs> it was just. Given the side eye to the stinky cheese. Yes. Yes. And the thing is, is that the, <laughs> if you have it, you want to have it at a beer garden outside so the smell doesn't stay. <laughs> <laughs> But you're eating so. this. You're eating the stinky cheese. You're drinking beer, which has its uh, own internal reaction. I mean, it's like you're not. Gonna... Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I wasn't going to go there with that, but yes, exactly. What you're saying yes, yes, and yes. So you will. Yes. Let's let's two, talk. Let's you'll t- need two hotel rooms. Two hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Make sure the hotel room on either side of me is vacant. Um, exactly. So let's talk beer in the Czech Republic because I love yes. the Pilsners. Pil- Pilsen yes. is a great place to go. But uh, what was your experience with a beer in the Czech Republic? So first time I went to the Czech Republic, I think it was like 97, I think. And I've gone back, I don't know, like. 10 or 15. I mean, I lived in Berlin for a number of years, so we'd go over all the time for New Year's and, and the parties and stuff. And and the beer is always, like, Czech beer has always been fantastic. I mean, it's, I mean, it just it just is. Some countries just do really good at beer. Czech Republic does really good at beer. Lithuania does really good beer. Germany does really good beer. Um, but when you go there, like, when you go to Pilsen, you can go to the Pilsner Hotel Brewery in Pilsen. And when you go there, when you do the tour, they'll take you, like, into the caves underneath where they hold the beer, and they have this unfiltered beer. They, like, tap right there and, and give you a glass from it. Like, well, you have to drink this within, like, two days. Otherwise, it's bad. It's because, you know, they don't, well, however their, their story goes with it. But it was just, it's just phenomenal. And what's great is is some places have, like, one, some countries have, like, one or two good beers, and the rest kind of, like, eh. But in the Czech Republic, I mean, it was like every beer I had, that was good. That was good. That was good. I could have another. I did have another. I had a little too more. Too much. <laughs> but you have, there's a lot of really good stuff because the people really appreciate the beer. And it's not just like, oh, a bunch of guys like the beer. Women like the beer. Grandmas like the beer. Grandpas like the beer. Young people like the beer. Moms and dads like the beer. I mean, it's kind of like wine in Portugal. In Portugal, all the wine is good and all the wine is affordable because the locals right. really help develop that culture that way. And so when you're in the Czech Republic, I mean, that's what I say. So, you know, you get the duck and dumplings. Duck and dumplings, and you can get it anywhere. It'll be fantastic with a local beer, and you're good to go. Um, one thing that's funny, though, I think, is you have countries that are famous for beers like the Czech Republic and, and, or, you know, England or Ireland or whatever. They're famous for beers, but there's so many, like, international brands now that sometimes it's hard to find the local beers. <laughs> So make sure you get the Star Prada or something like that when you're in the Czech Republic or the Pilsner Kell. I need to go buy. I want to go buy a six pack now because I'm not thirsty. Good, good. (laughs) There's a good tip for you. In your 10 shocks of visiting the Czech Republic, I think the 10th one you had, which was really funny, was that uh, men in the Czech Republic wear socks with sandals. And yeah, I just wanted to ask you: is, is this widespread, or is this something you did for the video, or because you got pictures well, of guys doing this? How how widespread is this? So, if you and I, being of the more mature demographic, <laughs> old guys, would be would, if we were there, we would be wearing like if we go out to like go to like the grocery store or something like that in the summer. It, it, it would be just as common for us to just throw on our our Birkenstocks with our socks on versus us throwing on our Nikes. With our with our Birkenstocks <laughs> to go to the store, 
Um, so you, you see it enough that it's like normal. Um, you said a lot in Germany. I, in Germany, I feel it's a, it, the, the demographic's a little bit older that does the socks and sandals. It start. I mean, it starts about the, the 40 cutoff, 35 cutoff, 40 cutoff in, in the Czech Republic. Germany seems to cut off with like at the 60, 60 mark and up with like socks and sandals. But it, actually, it's funny because Germans get a lot of grief for it. The socks and sandals all the time. It's like, how can you tell a German's on? Which who's the German at the beach? Oh, they got socks in their sandals. <laughs> so. So it's kind of funny. I always like finding those fashion things. I remember one time we were in southern Italy, and for whatever reason, everyone was wearing purple that year. Like men are going around in, in tight slacks that are this bright purple, and women are wearing purple dresses and purple blouses, and everything was purple. And in my website, I've got all these pictures of, of different people, all different age groups wearing purple. Yeah, wait, wait, when, when was that? Because I remember that. This this would have exactly been like 20... 11 may it's a while ago 2011 2010 yeah, no, that's that because that was right when we because i was living in portugal and visiting italy every other month and i saw it starting to pop up like 10 11 and then we went back because then we moved back from europe to the u.s in the middle of 2011 we went back 2012 and i'm like man purple's everywhere yeah i totally i know exactly what you're talking about too it's it's amazing how some of these fashion trends. <laughs> well, it's like it was like the black the black puffy coat. They 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 kind of like spread from Italy to all over Europe, and you're like, all right, now I have one here in the U.S. That yeah. was the other one. I remember once we were in Italy and we were early for our dinner reservation, so we sat in a park, and it was literally. 75 degrees outside and everyone's wearing these big black puffy coats men and women yep and we started yep. we started counting them and we got into like the 40s before we finally stopped but it was just like this is crazy you know we we came from the northern part of the u.s we're like this is summer <laughs> and they're like exactly big puffy coats <laughs> so let's talk about your one, one of my favorite series that you have is your things to love and hate videos and mm -hmm. You know, my question about this first off is, you know, you come out and you say, here's the things you're going to hate about going to Paris or, or wherever. Do you ever yeah. get do you ever get like pushback from people? Do people get upset because people in the tourism industry, locals who live there, they're very proud of their town, of their city. And someone gives a criticism. I mean, I always you know, I try to tread very carefully when I'm talking to folks. I don't want to insult them, but you come out and say these things that you hate. Do people ever give you pushback? Do they get angry at you? Well, what people will, will say is, you know, you say hate, but it's more like mild annoyances. You <laughs> okay, know, but right. I have to explain to them, no one's going to watch a video that says five things you love and, and might give you slight annoyances. You know, so, you know, five <laughs> love and hate, too. Like, oh, I want to hear that. And the thing is, is, People don't want to know the love. They want to know what people don't like about something. And so we're very honest about it. I mean, like, you know, the Rome, we had one on Rome, and it's like, you know, we talk about accommodation prices. Like, it doesn't matter where you are. You're going to pay insane rates. You're going to get a small spot. So just know that you're there just for a place to sleep. So don't feel like you have to stay, you know, at a super expensive place. Or don't feel bad that you're spending a lot of money because all of them are expensive, which is true. And the thing is, we will get people that get upset with us about this. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, um, well, I'm coming as an objective tourist, as someone that travels the world and trying to help people be prepared for when they go. So you know what? They might want to know that public restrooms in Rome aren't that great, okay? And, and, you know, and that's the thing is most of the time people are very supportive with it. Um, and we, we try to change. So, like, when I did, because I haven't done a lot of love and hate recently. We'd have a few of them. But uh, I used to always do the five hates first and the five loves. 
and now the new series, the new ones I'm doing, it's going to be, you know, it's going to go back and forth, love, hate, so it's kind of more of a balance kind of stuff. But on our website, uh, WalterRule.com, if you go there, all of our love and hate, like, we, we put them in blog form. We have them going every other because then it's a little bit more like, oh, you know, light punch, kiss, light punch, kiss, you know. <laughs> Um, but it's not, I mean, but the thing is, is what I tell people is like, look, the internet is here for people to share their opinions, and I want to help people travel better. And if you don't, if you don't want, I mean, that's why I think YouTubers and influencers and social media people have done a good job because now you get to see what it's actually like going to these places instead of just reading Rick Steve's book or Lonely Planet or something like that. You can see what's going to happen, and so it, it helps you be prepared better. And and I mean, there's a lot of companies that will reach out and want to do sponsorships and stuff. And they're like, no, we want you to say these things and that's it. I'm like, oh, you want a commercial. You don't want a review. Right, you want right. a commercial. And, and they're like, no, no, we want a review like this. And no, you're telling me what to say. You're not going to be free to say And we're all about honesty. And so and that's why 99 times out of 100 brands don't want to work with us. Because I'm like, look, I love your product. And I'm, I have nothing bad to say about it now. But if, if it's bad, I'm going to say, hey, you know what? I love my Samsung phone. But just FYI, if you're videotaping and trying to take a picture, it gives a little click, and so your video gets a little messed up. Like, you know, if you know that, you can be prepared for it. And so a lot of these, a lot of travel bloggers, because they, you know, they get sponsored to go places or they get their trip comped or whatever, they're, they, I mean, I, can, I understand why they're like, I don't want to say anything bad about this destination because they paid for me to be here. But the thing is, is my job isn't to make, you know, the tourism, the tourism office of City X happy. Mine is to get people prepared to go to City X. And you know what? If I tell them the good and the bad, they're no more or less likely to come. They're more prepared for when they do come. And so that, that's what I Nobody is going to say, I'm not going to Rome because Mark Walter said there were, there were lots of crowds there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're going to say, oh, there's lots of crowds there. I better buy my ticket in advance for the Coliseum or, you know. Exactly. And that's what we do with the hates, the don'ts, the shocks. We'll tell you the thing, and then we'll give you a way to mitigate it if it's something bad or take advantage of it if it's something good or, or this kind of stuff. So it's all very positive. So it's never like, don't go there because of this. It's like, look, there's something you need to watch out for, and here's how you can do that. Like going back to the Portugal and paying for all the free food stuff. If you don't want it, don't touch it. If you don't want to really say no, thank you, I'm good, you'll be fine. Like, and if you know that, good. I mean, it's not, I mean, people from Portugal got really mad at that. They're like, you don't have to pay for it. I'm like, yeah, if something shows up in my bill after I ate it, I usually pay for it. Like, well, if you look in the, if you look at the menu, it says that you have to pay for those things. Yeah. In like six spot on the back page <laughs> that it's smeared out with, from somebody's beer. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that, that's why I can't get too upset with, when people get upset with me. I'm like, you're not being realistic because there will be people that see no wrong in places. But there's good and bad everywhere. And we just want to have people be prepared. So if the bad does happen, they're prepared for it. And the good's there, they can be prepared for that as well. So this is a great time to be preparing for travel because we can't travel. We're in the middle of this exactly. pandemic. Um, yeah. How do you see this thing unfolding? I mean, none of us can really predict the future, but I'm interested in what your opinion is as to how this thing might change as the pandemic maybe wanes or maybe spikes again. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we, none of us know how it's going to play out, but I'd say things continue like we're going, like things are going down. And there's a slight spike going up right now, but you know, overall you're seeing things are opening up. And so what, I think what you're going to see is you'll have regional travel. So people in the U S will travel around the U S people in Canada will travel around Canada. Europe will travel. Europeans will travel within Europe or more specifically within their own country. You're going to see that because I don't think the border controls will come down. Like Germany announced like, yesterday or the day before that they said, look, 
we're not opening up Germany to non-European Union or non-Europeans until September, you know, at the earliest. So right there, the entire U.S. is gone, you know, right. you, in, in Canada and Asia and Africa and everybody else. So it's only Europe's just for Europeans this summer, it seems like. But you're going to see that, like, U.S. will just be U.S. travelers because our borders are like that. And so what you're going to see is more, you know, road trips. You're going to see more people staying home. But also, I think one of the bigger impacts that people aren't thinking about is the, the long-term economic impact that people losing their jobs will have on the tourism industry, not this year, because people aren't going because of the pandemic, but next year. Because if you lost, because 25% of the U.S. is without a job, right? And so if you have that much unemployment, it's not like everybody's job comes back right away. And if you've lost your job, I want to save up so next time if this happens again, I'm not going to be out of luck. And so I think that's going to have a really big impact on people's travel spending in the future. Now, some people will travel no matter what. Yeah, but there's other people that, like, look, there's a reason why they say it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go on a safari or to go to Europe or go to South America because financially speaking, it kind of sometimes is a once-in-a-lifetime thing you can afford. And so people are going to be more worried about that. And so maybe I save up, I push this back. Well, I've seen a lot of our fans um, in March and April, we're pushing it back until August, September. Now they're like, look, I'm just waiting until summer 2021. Right. Um, so I, I think you're going to see some of those things. Um, and the country, like some countries are opening up, but it really kind of depends because, you know, if one country says we're going to let tourists in without quarantine and we don't care where they're from, there's going to be pressure on other countries to do the same because there's so much money in tourism that, I mean, you can't, some countries' tourism is 20, 21% of their economy. Like, it's all gone. Like, you're going to open up to get people to come back. And so those people that can travel, they're going to go to those places, like the Spains and stuff like that, and the Portugal that, that are opening up. People are going to flood there, with the, and they're going to flood with their money. So you might have more people coming there than usual because, hey, it's the only place we have, which is going to help bring back that economy uh, a bit quicker. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really, I mean, it's such a complicated issue of when things are going to open up, when is it safe, what do we do, like hand sanitizer versus masks and, and this. And, and when you travel around, I mean, you're seeing, well, you're seeing hand sanitizer and masks are easy to get now. But finding the wipes and stuff, well, those are still almost impossible to find. So, And I think, you know, a lot of these big businesses, I mean, maybe some of these airlines are going to go bankrupt. Um, but yeah. for the most part, these big businesses, they're going to be okay. What really worries me is the smaller businesses. We lived in Austin for a few years, and so I still keep up with people from Austin. And it seems like every other week, there's another great music venue. One just shut down yesterday, and they said, we're not coming back. You know, this, you know we're, we don't have any money. We're not coming back. Well, when you yeah. start when you start closing down all these music venues in Austin, you've gutted basically one of the biggest cultural parts of going to Austin. Exactly, because now why, why do I go? If, if Broadway's not open in Nashville, if Beale Street's not open in Memphis, am I going? Yeah. That's, then it's not just, oh, B.B. King's isn't open. It's like, uh, then, then maybe we just drive down to, to you know, Gulf Shores, Alabama. Just don't stop in Memphis. Because th that, that's what you're saying, this whole domino effect, knock on effect. It's scary. Well... Before we let you go, Mark, let's let's figure out a, a, a high note to leave this on. There has to be <laughs> yeah. there has to be a happy note here. Um, let's see. I've got some Jameson and I've got some ginger ale in the fridge. So that's there you a, go. You're, that's you're, a, ready, you're gonna have a good night. <laughs> I've got a Zoom call scheduled with some college buddies, so I'll I'll have a good night. How about you? What are you looking yeah. forward to? Uh, well, tonight we're actually 
they, we can eat outside in Illinois now, or at least where we live in Illinois. And so this will be my first night. We're going to a German restaurant that actually has legit German food and legit German beer. And we're going up there. Us and our, my buddy Jeff, who I travel with a lot, his family, we're all going up there uh, to the restaurant to eat German food and have some beers and just being together again and, and appreciating what we have. So it's, it's going to be a fun night. And, and I think it's cool. You're going to have some James Day with your buddies tonight. Uh, so very cool. Very cool. All right. Enjoy that. Uh, Mark Walter, Thank we'll you. put links to all the uh, all your website and your YouTube videos in the show notes. Everyone can check that out. It's worth it. There's, there's lots there. Let, let me tell you, first of all, there's lots of stuff to go through, but it's totally worth it because they're fun. They're informative. They're hilarious. And, Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much. You have a great day. All right. Important to end on a high note, right? I've got links to Mark Walter's YouTube channel and his website in the show notes at radiomisfits.com. Just go to podcast, food and wine, and you'll see Destination Eat Drink. Also, while you're waiting for the next episode of Destination Eat Drink to drop, head on over to DestinationEatDrink.com. There I've got tons of foodie travel guides to cities all over the world, plus shorter articles about what I'm thinking about or what I'm interested in at any particular time. This week's blog post is about a handheld dish that English copper miners used to enjoy and that they brought to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan how it moved from England to the UP of Michigan. That's on the blog post at DestinationEatDrink.com. Just click on blog. Next week on the show, everything Poland, pierogies, Polish wine, Polish donuts. It's really an untapped and undiscovered place for foodies, I think. And we're going to be talking about Poland next week on the podcast. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla and the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thank you, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask, and I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.